Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. This episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast brought to you by Simple Booth. Create a branded experience at your station events, capturing and sharing GIFs and photos with Simple Booths, Photo Booths, and Selfie Stations. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. What if radio was created after the internet? That's the question Fituri Media says all stations should be asking in moving forward with a digital strategy at a time when audio has never been hotter. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we talk digital strategy for broadcast with Faturi Media's Zena Burns and Jim Tarantine. Hi, my name is Zena Burns, and I'm with Futuri Media as the Senior Vice President of Strategic Marketing and Brand Development. And here's my colleague, Jim Tarantine. Hi, I'm Jim Tarantine. I'm also with Futuri Media. I'm the uh, insights and engagement consultant, so my job is to dive into the insights and to make sense of all these numbers that are floating around. Futuri has been involved with two recent studies, but both have some overlap in that they address the changing consumer appetite. I want to start with the Futuri-Nielsen study on time-shifted radio content. Do you want to talk about what time-shifted content is and, and what the study found? At Futuri, you know, research and data drives everything that we do, and and we invest quite a bit in studies uh, just to make sure that we're on the right track and we're helping all of our partners stay ahead of the curve when it comes to when it comes to audience engagement and sales intelligence. So we worked with Nielsen recently on a study about on the potential of time shifted audio for the radio business. And when we say time-shifted audio, we're, take, we're, we're talking about taking your broadcast content and making it available in a time-shifted uh, fashion. Broadcasters spend so much money on creating content that oftentimes is heard once when it's live and oftentimes not available to be heard again, either because they strategically don't want to make it available digitally or because they don't have the manpower to do things you know, in a turnkey fashion or whatnot. Um, but what we were seeing is that with time-shifted audio, it's directly comparable to DVR technology and the way that the DVR technology and then, uh, you know, after, you know, more recently, the development of OTT platforms have really transformed the, um, the television industry over the years. We found that we were finding that there was a corollary with radio. So we worked with Nielsen um, to do a very data-driven study on the impact of um, and the potential of time-shifted audio for the radio industry. And high level, what we found was that when it comes to time-shifted audio, there is a huge potential for radio um, to firm up their time-shifted audio strategies to reach hard-to-reach audiences, highly monetizable audiences, and highly engaged audiences. And Jim has some statistics about, uh, in particular, which audiences specifically are the most open to engaging with time-shifted audio. Sure. Thanks, Dina. So really, it's that core, highly monetizable audience that's at the center of who's um, consuming time-shifted audio on a radio station. Um, you know, to throw around kind of an, uh, a research term or a Nielsen term, these are your P1s. 
you know, some of the, 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 the reasons that we kind of correlate uh, the type of people that are listening to time-shifted audio in this P1 concept is that the Nielsen uh, Futuri study found that listeners interested in time-shifted content are over three times more likely than those not interested to talk about radio with others, to over twice as likely to participate in radio station events or contests, and over twice as likely to access radio content online. So the type of people that are gravitating towards time-shifted content that radio stations are providing are the core, hardcore uh, target audience of a radio station that love the station and that want more of it and want to listen to the brand outside of just the AM and FM uh, platform. The other thing, when it comes to audiences that are likely to have listened to time-shifted radio content in the last 30 days, uh, they're not the easiest to reach demo. Males and 18 to 34-year-olds are the most likely to have listened to time-shifted radio content in the last 30 days, per the study that Futuri did with Nielsen. And those who did listen to, those who listen to time-shifted radio content, they're in general heavy radio listeners. They tend to skew younger. 44% are 18 to 34. And they're slightly more male than female. Um, so overall, these are highly desirable uh, demos uh, for, for radio to reach. And another thing that the study found, which is really exciting, and, and JT here can, can talk a little bit more to this, is that we know that there be, we know that we can reach highly engaged and hard to reach demos with time shifted radio content. Uh, but at the same time, there's not a lot of awareness in the marketplace of time shifted radio content. And that means that there's a tremendous amount of upside for radio. Yeah, you're right, Zena. I mean, like right now, the way that the, the study responded was that awareness of time shifted radio content is only three in 10 radio listeners. So, we're still at a, a, a critical yet awesome time where people can are still not as familiar as they could be, and radio can really be ahead of the curve to make sure that their listeners are aware and consuming this time-shifted radio content. Zena already mentioned uh, Zena already mentioned a DVR concept uh, that 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 hit TV, and some would argue that um, uh, the TV responded a little bit later than they could have. Um, I think with radio and audio, we still have that ability to get ahead of this curve and to capture that listening audience since it's such a highly desirable and monetizable one. So is there any indication from your research why more radio stations aren't getting with this idea of time-shifted content, particularly because it's a great way to drive engagement with younger demos? The research um, that we did as part of the Futuri and Nielsen study, uh, that was focused on what the opportunity was, what type of consumers were likely to engage with these con this content, what type of consumers already are engaging with this content, and what the market awareness is. I will say from our own experience working with thousands of radio stations around, around the world is that oftentimes we find that a big part of the um, pushback or objection or, or hurdle um, has to do with not being able to do it in a turnkey way with, uh, with current tools and processes. Obviously, staffs are not getting larger anytime soon. Um, so as stations are asked to do more than, with less, it's really important that stations have the right tools, the right process, and the right 
flow in order to make this content available in a turnkey way that doesn't blow up their whole staffing model or take their eye off the ball of creating great radio. Um, and there are lots of different ways you can you can you can create you can use these tools and create these processes. Obviously, at Futuri, we have a system called Post and a num number of other tools that make it um, easy for stations to engage with their audiences in in turnkey and highly highly monetizable ways. But that can it can even be as simple as creating a content ROI spreadsheet and you know, going through and breaking out your quarter hours, what content are you creating and how are you maximizing that content? Creating a structure like that so you can just see what you're putting into it and ensure that you're getting out of that content investment everything you can. I think to a lesser extent, there are still some broadcasters who sometimes fear that making content available digitally is, uh, is, is going to hurt their terrestrial ratings in some form or fashion. But everything that, that, that we found both anecdotally and in research that we've seen is that if anything, uh, the digital is additive. If we think about how consumers live their lives today, and especially the fact um, that you know your competition is in radio is no longer just the guy across the street. It's you know countless other platforms like Spotify and Pandora and things like that. Listeners no longer are going to completely you know rejigger their day for uh, for appointment listening if it's not convenient for them. If it is convenient for them, great. But how many times, you know, do you have a doctor's appointment that is going to interfere with you listening to your favorite morning show or something like that? You still have an appetite for the content. You just weren't available at that particular time. So making time-shifted radio content um, available gives listeners an opportunity to engage with your brand, even when they're not able to be tuned in. I think your competition point there is a good segue into the other study that Fituri is involved with that was led by the University of Florida College of Journalism. It asserts that YouTube is the top destination for podcast listening, which um, I think is just an extremely interesting finding. And, and in part, um, it's the methodology here that was behind that finding. Can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. One thing that I would like for Jim Tarantine to talk about is the sample for this podcast study that we did in conjunction with the University of Florida uh, School of Journalism, which is a very, very highly rated um, school. And their, their research team, Dr. Sylvia Channel said, who, who led this uh, internationally renowned researcher who has worked with major brands the world over. Um, we wanted to do something a little bit different with, uh, with the sample here. So Jim Tarantine, if you want to talk about the sample, and then I'll get more into why that's relevant for YouTube, which I also found to be a fascinating finding. The sample, when I started digging into the research, is one of the most interesting and exciting parts of the study. Um, we didn't sample based on those listening to radio. We didn't sample based on people that were part of a radio station database. Um, a lot of, a lot, a lot of um, kind of studies come from that perspective. What do radio listeners think of podcasting? What do radio fans like or dislike about podcasting? We kind of turned it on its head. Um, our denominator, uh, so to speak, to go back to like fourth grade math, really depended on two things. When we were uh, searching out these 2,000 random samples, um, participants, it was one, 
have they listened to a podcast in the last six months? And two, do they consider themselves, and this is super important, do they consider themselves self-identify as regular podcast listeners? Once those two questions were answered yes, that's what put them in the sample pool. So we didn't look at the census data and determine on that. We didn't look at geography and base it on that. We didn't base radio listening and determine on that. What brought them into the sample, every single person that answered a question in the University of Florida Futuri study considered themselves regular podcast listeners and have listened to a podcast in the last six months. That's why when we use the term unprecedented, that's what makes it unprecedented in my opinion. And here's how this ties back to the to to the YouTube stat, and just in general, how I think we as content creators uh, need to need to be thinking when it comes to this type of content. So the dictionary definition of podcast, you know, that refers to digital audio that's generally episodic in nature that you download to a device, generally subscribe to it. But with this UF study, as Jim was saying, respondents self, and it was a very large sample self-identified as podcast listeners. We did not give them a definition of podcast. We had them self-identify. And the results showed overwhelmingly that consumers consider any piece of spoken word on-demand audio to be a podcast, regardless of whether or not it's episodic, you can subscribe to it, you know, all of that. So when you look at the consumer's definition of podcast versus, you know, a capital P podcast that you might get via via Apple podcast. When you look at the consumer's definition of podcast, YouTube is overwhelmingly the number one platform from consumption for consumption. And whereas that was a finding from the Futuri and US study, and it was it was it was puzzling to to a lot of people in the industry who who do this day in, day out and think about the dictionary definition of podcast. Um, our study, as well as a recent report from Global Web Index and, and some others, um, finds that if you're using the consumer's definition, it makes sense that YouTube um, is so high when it, when it comes to consumption because it's becoming more of a force for audio discovery and consumption, not just for video. So, so the self-identification point is, is very important when talking about, um, you know, when talking about YouTube as a consumption platform. Fact of the matter is consumers either don't know or don't care about the difference between the distinction between a piece of one-off on-demand audio, like a clip of an artist interview on a station website, and a capital P podcast. Now, we as content creators need to know the distinction to make sure that we're capturing audience and revenue opportunities with different types of audio. But our consumers, they don't have religion about that point. And I say consumers instead of listeners, because if we distribute as radio our audio content properly, we really have the opportunity to capture audience that doesn't necessarily listen to terrestrial radio right now. If we're going to grow as an industry, we need to think about more deeply engaging our current audience, yes, but also capturing new audience and having a strong on-demand strategy is really the way to do that. And as Zena mentioned, one thing that has been really good about since we released this study is that at least two, three, four other studies have referenced YouTube. You know, so there was kind of caught with a, like there was kind of a gasp when we brought up YouTube um, as it referenced to our, our study. But then, you know, there's, there's another study here or there that YouTube. YouTube, YouTube. So you're starting to hear it more and more and more. Yes, Cher Revere's uh, recent findings uh, totally support That's that. That's right. Yes. 
Yeah, that was the, one of their main conclusions, right? Yes, and it, I mean, it begs the question, what does a podcast look like on YouTube? Well, what's key is making, um, is making that audio content available in a video format. And I think some people, I think some people listen to that, oh, I need to create, you know, a new, I need to create a new video. I'm not going to have time to do that, yada, yada, yada. And it's just not as difficult as, as some people, as some people, you know, think it might be. Um, and it's important, it's important to have that audio available in a video format because video gets much higher engagement than any type of social post. And making your audio available as video content can help get more ears on that audio. So table stakes really is to make your audio available as video, even if there's only a simple visual. Um, we at Futuri with our post product, uh, we recently launched a feature called um, Post Basic Video, where you can automatically select your audio, um, select just one image, and export it to YouTube as well as other social platforms. And it's literally just audio, image, boom. It's exported to YouTube as a video clip just with, you know, one image, light motion, and there you have it. Your audio is all of a sudden available to be consumed on this, on this you know, quote-unquote video platform that is becoming more and more of a force for audio discovery and consumption. If you want to take it to the next level, you can use your audio as a bed for video with more engaging videos, with more engaging visuals. Again, you know, the more engaging the visuals are, the more likely it is that people are going to interact with it and people are going to get ears on your audio. Uh, we, again, recently launched a feature called Post Video where essentially producers or talent can select a piece of audio, submit it. You don't even have to, um, you know, choose your own image. And then very quickly they receive back from the Post team a fully produced station branded video using your audio as a bed but also using licensed footage from things like events, licensed images, captions, and animations. So that way you're more likely to get ears on your audio, but also providing listeners a way to more deeply engage with your brand on digital platforms, even when they're not tuned in. So what it boils down to is a podcast can look like many different things on YouTube. It can be just the audio with one basic image, which is table stakes for getting you onto the platform. Um, or you can take it to the next level and create something that can really stand on its own as a piece of video content using your audio as a base. So as I mentioned off the top, sort of the, the, the theme that binds these two studies together is changing consumer appetite. And obviously there are a lot of takeaways for radio here for a station that might be feeling overwhelmed in this, uh, you know, sort of changing digital ecoverse, do you have any closing thoughts? I completely get why a station might feel overwhelmed in this changing digital universe, um, especially as staffs aren't getting any larger. You know, I started, I started in radio in 2006 as the first digital program director in the industry at a time when people were just starting to get their, their, their feet wet. And the industry has grown so much since then. Uh, but I say that to say that I and we completely understand those challenges. I would say first things, first things first, if you're feeling overwhelmed, is to, to start small. For example, 
just creating a spreadsheet, your content ROI spreadsheet. Okay, here's the content that we created today. How are we using that on different platforms outside of just terrestrial? If you break it down just even by you know quarter hour, that can be a good way to start off in pieces. Um, obviously, the right technology and tools uh, can make things much, much easier. And then bigger picture, I think it's important for stations to, to ask themselves, hey, are we shoehorning digital strategies into the same type of programming strategies we've been using for the last decade plus? Or are we truly building our programming strategies from the ground up with digital in mind? Uh, when our CEO, Daniel Anstandig, founded the company years ago, um, he said, okay, Futuri, the founding premise is going to be, what if radio was created after the internet? And as such, that's part of the reason why we develop everything with radio in mind, but thinking about what if radio was created after the internet? I think too often um, broadcasters who can be overwhelmed for one reason or another simply try and shoehorn digital into what they've been doing for a long time. And I think it's really important for broadcasters to take the time to kind of zero base what they're doing and saying, all right, this is the, this is the new world. How do we make sure that we, as expert content creators, because this, at a time when audio has never been hotter, radio creates, the, the whole premise of radio is creating great audio, right? So since the audio landscape has changed, saying to yourself, all right, with this changing landscape, which, yes, has its challenges, but its opportunities to create, to capture new audience as well, especially since we're expert content creators, um, how do I build new strategies from the ground up? So again, it's starting small. There are small things that you can do just to get your feet wet if you're overwhelmed looking for the right tools and partners to, uh, to, to maximize your, um, your staff ROI. Um, and then more broadly, thinking about your strategies, zero-basing your strategies, and, and saying, all right, what if we had to start everything over today? What would things, what would things look like? Because there's lots of audience out there um, to, be, to be captured beyond just more deeply engaging your current audience. Did you have any concluding thoughts, Jim? The only thing I'll add to what Zena said, and she said it really well, was all of our research, whether it's University of Florida or Nielsen, points to that this audience that uh, broadcasters can target with time-shifted audio is the exact center of the bullseye of who they want to reach. Heavy radio listeners, P1 listeners, radio fans, station fans. So it's not a, a wasted effort for a station to target um, those same listeners that love their content already on different platforms. You're only getting more out of your core audience. So it's highly valuable and monetizable. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, Jim. I thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you so much for, for having us. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm 
Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.